I'm going to change up just a little bit as to what I had suggested we would do, because uh, we are going to be looking at uh, Ephesus sometime soon, but I decided today I wanted to change up just a little on that. Uh, since we are studying Ephesians, and we're studying it verse by verse, uh, I sort of felt put out a little bit that I'm going to spend two weeks and not talking about Ephesians verse by verse. So guess what we're going to do? We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1 this morning. So if you'll get your Bibles out, we'll be working with uh, the text this morning. Now, as I mentioned last week, if there are some terms that I use that you need uh, me to clarify, or if it's just my accent or something like that, that uh, you're not sure just exactly what I said, please put your hand up and let me see, and uh, we'll see what we can do with that. So, Ephesians chapter 1. I will be reading from the Revised Standard Version. It really doesn't make a whole lot of difference, because most of the Bibles that we have are very good translations. But sometimes translations are translated with a particular view of people who are going to be reading that translation. So, But here is the, the first question. Which is the best Bible for you to buy? The one you will read. That's right. That's the one you will read. Because if you've got Bibles you're not going to read, it's not going to help you very much. You see? And some of our translations, more, some of the more modern translations, are more a paraphrase and they're geared at those that are sitting at around about the fifth grade level. So it's readable for them. I will not name any of those in case you're sitting there with one of them and I just said fifth grade level. I didn't want to do that. But I just want you to understand that we do have very good translations and uh, mine might read a little different, as we will notice when we get to chapter 1 and verse 1. Mine will read a little different from your translation, which is okay. As I've indicated, I'm using the Revised Standard Version. So let's look at the first two verses here. first two verses fall into what we call the salutation or the prescript. Prescript just means what was written before, up front. And it's the introductory section in which the writer uh, identifies who he is. And it was custom for people writing at that particular time to follow that form that you begin by telling the readers who you are and what you do. We do that in business letters today as well. So this is the prescript, uh, salutation. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Um, that last little statement there, by the will of God, uh, is very important for Paul. Because, as you know, a lot of the Jewish Christians and some Gentile Christians had difficulty uh, accepting Paul as an apostle or as someone who would go about teaching because he sort of came late onto the scene and he wasn't one of those that were called by Jesus during Jesus' ministry. And so Paul very often identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ, emphasizing, yes, he is an apostle. And we all know when it was that uh, Jesus talked or revealed himself to Paul on the road to Damascus. But Paul just reminds us of that, that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, it's also interesting 
that there are a couple of verses or a couple of places in our New Testament where some folk are mentioned as apostles or included with the apostles that were not the apostles of Jesus Christ. Simply because the word apostle, apostelos or apostolos, which is the way you want to pronounce it, apostolos, means uh, a messenger. It's a messenger. So anyone who was chosen to be a messenger, to go somewhere to do something, uh, he would be or she would be referred to as an apostolos in the New Testament. And if we look for a word missionary, which is pretty important for us today in our church life, you just don't find the word missionary in most of our New Testaments. And yet it was very important because when they refer to a missionary, the Greek word for a missionary is guess what? Apostolos. That's what it means. It's someone who is sent out with a message, you see. And so it's a broad term. And so for Paul to clarify just who he really was, he would clarify it by, I am truly an apostle of Jesus Christ, chosen by Jesus Christ. And notice again the next statement, by the will of God. It was God's purpose and God's will that Paul would be a messenger or an apostle of Jesus Christ. So it's very important. Galatians, just turn over to Galatians there. That's the book just beforehand, uh, page 1738. <laughs> Paul, an apostle, not from men or through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and then all the brethren who are with me. And so Paul adds there an emphasis again that he was an apostle. In fact, we will notice when you look at Galatians in a little further detail, um, Paul says that God chose him as an apostle before he was born. He was chosen by God for that particular ministry. So again, it's important that we realize that Paul is speaking here of his responsibility as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, to the saints. Um, would all of you who are saints, uh, just put your hand up this morning. I want to see how many saints we've got here. Okay, that's good. All of us are saints, all right? The word saint comes from the Greek word hagios, which carries a bunch of meanings to it, and it's related to holy, you see. And so when Peter says to the Christians, he's writing, I want you to be holy as God is holy, he's just saying, I want you to be a saint. Now, the word hagios carries a sense of separated for a purpose and being cleansed for a purpose. And so the word saint refers to Christians who understand the fact that they have been cleansed, as Paul will say, uh, explain a little later here, by the blood of Jesus, they are born-again Christians, and they have been separated from the world for a purpose. There's always that sense of for a purpose. Right? Now, you ladies will understand what I'm talking about here. The men never do. They miss this point. When you take dishes and you have a nice meal, all right, and you get all of the dishes left over, what do the men do? They go into the den to watch football, and you've got to take the dishes and see that they get cleaned, all right, or cleansed. And it's like in our kitchen, we have two bowls of sinks on the counter. What, you call them sinks here? Sinks. Okay, two sinks on the counter. And uh, usually you take the dirty stuff and you put it on this side, 
And this sink's got soapy water in, and you take the dishes and you put them in there, and you mess them around a little bit till the dirt's gone, and then you put them in the clean water, and you rinse them there, and then you put them over on the side. Okay? Why? To drain. Okay. And when you've done that, well, they've served their purpose. So you pick them up and throw them in the trash can. <laughs> can you see what, where I'm going with this? Being cleansed and set apart for a purpose implies there's something that we need to do that God has in mind for us. So all of that is wrapped up in this word saints. So he writes here to the saints who are also faithful. That, that's an important statement there. Now, I would think that all saints are faithful. But, you know, some of us are just not as faithful or energetic as we could be. And so Paul is reminding to the saints who are faithful. Now, mine goes on and says, in Christ Jesus. Yours possibly there says, faithful in Ephesus. Okay, which is good. We mentioned this just briefly last week. Some of the very best manuscripts that we have, Greek manuscripts, have in Ephesus in it. And some of the best manuscripts that we have do not have in Ephesus in there. And so as far as the manuscript evidence goes, you know, it's difficult to decide whether we should have Ephesus in there or not have Ephesus in there. Well, we know from a very early date that this was a letter written to Ephesus. But it was a circular letter that was then copied by scribes in a church, might be in Ephesus, who would send that letter on to other churches. Can you name a couple of churches that were close to Ephesus? Ah, you know, you, you, you don't want to embarrass me, that's all. What about Colossae? What about Hierapolis? What about Laodicea? All of them in a region there, fairly close. And that's not all of the churches that were there, because Luke tells us that while Paul was in Ephesus working, that all of the people in Asia heard the gospel. So they were very active in spreading the gospel when Paul was in Ephesus, and many congregations were established that we possibly haven't even heard of, but they were there. Okay, So... These manuscript, the manuscript of Ephesus was copied faithfully and carefully and sending it on to Colossae, knowing that it was a circular letter. They just left that Ephesus out so the Colossians would understand it. It's also for them. Okay. There's another reason that my translation doesn't include Ephesus in there, and it's a, it's a very textual, a technical issue. Because when our scribes, who are working with the Greek manuscripts that we have, have to decide on some issues that are interesting, but, you know, raise questions there, and they've got to decide whether we're going to go with this one or this one, one of the key issues is, which is the more difficult one to hold on to? Because normally, when scribes would copy something, they wouldn't make it more difficult, they would make it easier. So it was easier to add something into the manuscript than to take it out of the manuscript. So in all probability, uh, we've got uh, an interesting little question here, but it doesn't make much of a difference. Uh, we know that what we have in our Bibles and the manuscripts that we have are really excellent. And so we can have real 
strong faith in the text that we have. So it really doesn't make any differences as long as we understand that Ephesus was intended not only just for the church in Ephesus, but for all of the churches that were in that region and it was sent out to them. We do know that at the end of the Colossian letter, Paul writes to the Colossians and he says to them, read the letter that's coming from Laodicea. Well, we don't know what letter that is. But if this is a circulator, in all probability, he's writing to the Colossians to read that letter that's coming from Laodicea. Right? Any problems with that? Okay. But notice that they are faithful where? In Christ Jesus. All right. And how important that is for us to understand uh, the lives that we live. We are to live our lives in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Mm? Yes. Okay, yes, we understand they're Christians. And he's encouraging them to live faithfully as Christians in Christ Jesus. That's what we call a locative, instrumental, and dative form. Isn't that exciting that you can go home and tell your kids, well, I learned about locative, instrumental, and dative today. Well, it is interesting because that is a locative sense there, that it's within the realm of Christ Jesus. We are to live there, surrounded by Jesus. We're in the realm of Christ Jesus. Now, it's one of the favorite terms of Paul. John, the gospel, who wrote the Gospel of John, and then also 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation, he doesn't use that term very much. He has a different problem that he's going to be addressing. And John speaks of in the light. We walk in the light as God is in the light. And we walk in Jesus as Jesus is the light. You see, And so for John, he emphasizes this business. As Christians, we need to walk in the light of Jesus. Right? Paul picks up in the... In Christ Jesus. Now, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Grace. Do we have anybody here whose name is Grace this morning? Eh, that's all right. That's an old-fashioned name, isn't it? Uh, but Grace. What does Grace mean? Unmerited, Unmerited favor. favor. Okay, that's good. That's a very good Church of Christ definition, okay, <laughs> which is very good. We're quite happy with it, okay, because we recognize that whatever grace we receive from Jesus is what? We didn't deserve it. It's unmerited. That's what grace carries it. But the word grace itself doesn't carry the sense of unmerited. It just carries the sense of favor. May you be in the favor of Christ Jesus and God the Father. In other words, he's making a little prayer here that God would pour out his grace, his favor, and his mercy on these saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus. The word is charis, in case you wanted to write it down. Charis. Would you like me to spell it for you? Okay. C-H-A-R-I-S. Charis. Would you say it for me? Charis. Charis, okay, got it there. Uh, it's related to another Greek word. It's built on the same form as the word chara. And chara carries the sense of joy. 
And so you see, in this business of grace, there's joy in that because we're receiving the favor of God and we celebrate it. All right? There's another word that's very related to that. Uh, it's the word chairein in Greek. You see, chairein, charis, chara, very much the same. And the English translation of that, no, let me correct on that. The text, I was reminded of this last week. One lady came up and helped me out. All right? The Texas translation of chairein is hi. Hi, y'all. Okay? That's a greeting. That was the favored Christian greeting when they write, Grace to you from God the Father and Jesus Christ. So Paul picks up on, isn't that wonderful that he is praying that these Christians would receive the grace of God that brings joy into their lives. You know, I think when we go through tough times, when it's not too exciting about what's happening around us, we need to be reminded of joy, the grace that God showers upon us. Just this last week, I learned of uh, one uh, cousin of mine and then another very good friend, Christians, that have both come down with pretty serious cancer. I don't know what it means, but Jeannie can help us out here. Stage three cancer, what does that mean? That's not good, all right? And so, you know, when, when I get messages like that, I sit there and I think, oh, no. You know, this is a tough world that we live in that's not always going to treat us fairly and nice. But in those occasions, we need to remember that we have God's grace that we can call back on. And then, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I would imagine that our world today could use some of that peace. All right? The word for peace is also interesting. It's Irene, from which we get the English name Irene. Do we have any Irenes here today? No, I... Boy, you folk are not very biblical, are you? <laughs> well, your parents weren't. Let me put it to you that way. But the word peace carries a sense of irene, and it's not talking about physical peace. It's a sense of inner spiritual peace. It sometimes can be translated as tranquility. Right? You know, when you go to a pond sometimes, uh, it's just as calm as could be. And then somebody throws a rock in it, and what happens? All of the ripples all over the place. The idea of peace speaks of that inner spiritual stability that we have that gives us guidance in our lives and helps us to understand that although we live in a world that is not very nice, um, we still have peace with God, that we're in fellowship with God. So a, a beautiful... Uh, illustration here of a Christian greeting that was very common to the early Christians as they wrote their letters. And so Paul picks up on that. Any questions about that before we move on? Okay, we move now into the second block of material, which is extremely important. Remember, I, I, uh, I mentioned this last week. There are certain little rhetorical keys in a letter 
that tell you something about the person that's writing that letter. And remember I told you that story about I wrote a letter and I to a South African and I dated it 10-3-1970-something. And he came back and said, oh, you're an American. I said, no, I'm not an American. Well, he said, look at the way you've written the date. In South Africa, in the British world, it's 3 10 then the year, see? But we do it differently here. So even in a little thing like the date of a letter, you learn something about the people that are writing it or who are involved in that. Now, what we're going to be looking at now really is a large block of material that's hard to decide when it begins or ends, but I think it's best if we look at this block of material going from verse 3 down to verse 23, chapter 1, verse 3, down to verse 23. Technically, we refer to this block of material in Paul's letters or in the early Christian letters as the Laudatio, L-A-U-D-A-T-I-O, Laudatio. In other words, it's built on the Latin word, this is, of to laud somebody, which is to do what? You praise someone, you see. And so usually in this Laudatio section, which is a prayer section, we can learn what was on Paul's mind. Because he tells us what he wants to pray for, for these people. I'm praying for you for this. So what does that tell you that's on his mind? What he's praying for, you see. So this is what comes right up at the beginning of Paul's letters. The Laudatio there is sometimes called other terms, but I think it's just for us to remember that this is the prayer and praise section. And it's in that section that we find the theology of the Ephesian letter. In other words, we can learn what Paul wants these people to know about their relationship with God. Theology, you remember, we talked about that last week, is a discussion of God and how he impacts our lives. And we're all, to some extent, theologians. If we talk to our friends, our neighbors, our kids, or whatever it is, about God, and we explain how important God and Jesus are for us, and hopefully for them, we got into the field of theology. We do it at different levels. You see, uh, We do it right with these small little children we have. We talk to them about Jesus and talk to them about the Bible and we try to explain to them how important the church is and we raise them up with understanding how important the church is and Scripture and Jesus is in their lives. That's theology done at that particular level. But we do it at all different levels. What we're going to be doing it here this morning is what we call biblical theology, which is a little more complex. And we've got to dig into the text and open the text up. Uh, one uh, friend that I have who is a New Testament scholar says this is a very dense text. We now need to unpack it. So what we're going to do is we're going to try and unpack the first 13 verses, which is the first big block of material there in Ephesians, and to see if we can learn something that Paul wants these people to understand. I think I gave you that as an assignment, didn't I? Yeah. Asked you to read through that thing and then underline or identify one or two things that sort of jump out of that text. And from verse 3 down through to verse 14, actually. Who would like to kick that off? Yes, ma'am. Yes, okay. you put your hand up. You okay. get in trouble if you put your hand up. 
You want me to read? No, I just want you saying? to tell me what jumped out of that text that got your attention. You that get someone else because I wasn't here last week. Sorry? Sorry. Get someone else because I wasn't here last week. You weren't here last week. That's all right. Goodness, who's going <laughs> to help her out? Someone that was... Yeah, yeah. No, Carol, wait a minute. I want everybody to think here. Everybody. Come on, be bold. bold. I, I tell John that too. John, hush for a while. Okay? I'm not saying to Carol, hush for a while. I'm saying, you'll be third on the list. Okay. All right. Over here. Yes, ma'am. Way back there. Sorry? Okay, we have been adopted by God as his children for a purpose. Isn't that wonderful? To be adopted by God for a purpose. Okay, another thought. Yes, I'll be right back with you. I heard a voice over there. Yes. We have redemption and forgiveness. Okay, we have redemption and forgiveness where? Through Jesus Christ. In Christ Jesus. Okay, over here. Sorry? Forgiveness of our trespasses. Okay, forgiveness of our trespasses. What else? Yes, we weigh. I'm going to get my exercise in here today, aren't I? Well, this is sort of That's all right. Good. No, no. I need exercise. We were talking about in having friends from Presbyterian churches. This is one of the passages that they use to, as an example, that we are predestined. And that's what jumped out and said, oh, yeah. This Very is good. And, yeah, Paul is saying we're predestined by God. We have to ask ourselves, what does that mean? You see, that's what we're going to look at there. Uh, and that's a good point. We will be talking significantly about that in the text there. What else? Yes, ma'am. I was just going to say also, he said in uh, uh, verse 5 that he predestined us, and then again in verse 11, saying, having predestined according to the plan. Okay. So, in other words, that predestination is according to a plan that God had. Okay, When did he have that plan? Before the foundation of the world, which is telling us right there that God knew what he was doing for before he even created anything. The beginning, he already had a plan. And he had a plan for you and for me. He had a plan how he was going to save you, and you, and you, even before the foundation. Isn't it nice to realize that God thought of me before he even created anything? All right. So he had a plan, which we'll talk a little more about when we get down to talk about predestination. Okay, let's move on now. Those are some of the things that jump out of this text that are really important. But notice how he begins here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, let's just back into that there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word, blessed, is eulegatos. Eulegatos. Would somebody like to say that? Eulegatos. How many of you have attended a funeral? Eh, that's a dumb question, isn't it? We always have somebody in a funeral that's going to stand up there and read a eulogy to the people. And what does the eulogy say? It's like this. Well, we're here to remember our dear friend George. He was a dirty, stinking rotter. He beat his wife up every day. And that's not a eulogy, is it? That's ugly. So what is a eulogy? 
you say good things. And there are a lot of good things that we can say about God. But the thing that Paul picks up here, blessed, now praise, say good things. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he doesn't only say our Father here. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's bringing that into the thing, which would be very important for these people to understand. Uh, I brought two idols with me this morning. This one was my coffee. And unfortunately, there's still some in there. That's all right. This one is the goddess Artemis. Okay? Extremely important for people living in Ephesus and that region of the world. Uh, She was the Greek version of the Latin Diana. Okay? When you drive into Ephesus today, before you get there, you have to go through the little town called Selzuk. Not a very big town. It is about a mile and a half from the ancient city of Ephesus. And when you drive into the town, the first thing you see is a 20-foot statue of this goddess right there. What does it say about the people that live or lived in that area? This was the god, one of the many gods, all right, that they worshipped in Ephesus. And if you look at this god or goddess, there are a lot of interesting things on here. There are a lot of animals, and there's also some hunting scenes. And then she has an ornamentation on the front here, which is a lot of breasts, okay? Now, that is very significant because this goddess was the goddess of fertility, all right. If you wanted to have good children and healthy children, who did you worship? And she was so popular that they built a temple in Ephesus that you can still go and see parts of it, not much left, that was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Magnificent. It was bigger than what we have today in a football field. Enormous. All that's left standing there today, and we'll see this when I show you the pictures later on, is a tall column. There were 120-something columns like this around this magnificent temple. And all that's left of Ephesus, that temple of Artemis today, is one column. And on the very top, there's a stork's nest. And so the only person or thing that worships that column today is a stork. Now, what I'm wanting you to see is that this region that we're talking about when we're talking about Ephesus was an intensely religious reason, region. And this goddess was extremely important to them and their lives. She was not only the goddess of fertility, she was the goddess of agriculture, the goddess of hunting, the goddess of war, and everything was wrapped up in those things, you see. So when Paul comes along here and he says, Now, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, what do you think he's doing? He's shifting them away from this. This is not the God that's important to you. The God that's important to you is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you have taken the advantage of reading ahead, did I give you a reading assignment on the last lesson that I sent out to you? Mm-hmm. How many of you? No. 
I was going to say, how many of you read it? That, that's, not, that's not fair, because if you haven't bought the book, that's okay. You can get to heaven without buying this book. It just takes you a little longer to get there. But let me see. There is a diagram in here on this page, page 31, that has to do with one of the religions that circulated in this was this that I wiped off. Yeah, yours. One of the religions that circulated in Ephesus, which wasn't really a religion, but it was a mindset, a philosophy that permeated just about everything that was going on. If you live in Dallas, Texas, what mindset permeates Dallas people, Texans? Football. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. It could be basketball, it could be baseball or something like that. But you know, there, there are certain things that sort of permeate our culture, you see. Uh, well, Gnosticism was a mindset that permeated this culture that Paul is writing to here. And this, at the root of this particular philosophy, was the idea that it, the God that the Jews followed was not a good God. He was a bad God because he created the physical world. And according to the Neoplatonistic view at that time is the physical world is bad and it's keeping our spirit captive and we need to be released from that spirit. This was the mindset that they had there. And uh, so if you didn't have the special knowledge that came from that God, you couldn't be saved. Notice what Paul is doing here again, focusing here to these people, how important it is for them to remember that it was the Lord, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In other words, it doesn't matter what spiritual blessing you might have. Guess where you can find solution and comfort for that? In Christ. It's not out in this philosophy that's out there in the world. It's not out in the sense of having the right kind of knowledge that's in the world. Right? The spiritual blessings that we have are to be found in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying. So notice he's again, these people were worshipping this goddess. They were trained to think like the Gnostics. And the mystery religions were rampant in Ephesus. And the mystery religions had to do somewhat with uh, sexual sin, drunkenness, etc. And the idea was that one of the gods that they worshipped was the god of wine. And so how do you worship this god of wine? You drink it and get drunk. And it's in those drunken orgies that you have that you receive this insight into what is real in life. See, That permeated this city. In fact, when we look at it later on, when you walk up the main street from the harbor down there up to the main street, the thing you see right up in front of you is this enormous uh, theater where Paul obviously had to defend his gospel. And you turn right and you go down. As you turn right, there's the temple of, of uh, I think if it's not the temple, the school of Tyrannus right there where Paul preached. See, And you go down a little bit further and there's a mark in the the uh, pathway there that points this way and the message behind that is if you're looking for sex that's where you find it and it is it is understood that we have the largest brothel 
in the ancient world, right there in Ephesus. You see, because why? She was the goddess of fertility. Fertility, and if you weren't having the right kind of children that you would like, guess what you did? If you were a male, you went down to the brothel and had sex to some of the priestesses that were there, and uh, that would secure the health uh, of your children. That was a pretty good idea if you're a male, wasn't it? <laughs> but can you see the world that we're talking about here that Paul is writing to? This is the world that these people had been converted out of into Christ and in the church. And so Paul is trying, and it's not only Ephesus, this spread throughout that region there, same mindset. Colossians has possibly as much, if not more, to say about Gnosticism than Ephesians does. See, So, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. It doesn't matter where you're looking for it, guess what? It's found in Christ Jesus. Even as he chose us in him. Would you catch that? Even as he chose us in him, that is in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him according to the purpose of his will. Now, that's a whole load of stuff there. He predestined us. Right? That is the word that we pick up. It actually is prohorizo. Pro-horizo. Pro-horizo. Come on, be bold. I want, you, I want to be feeling good that you went home and learned something this morning. Pro-horizo. No, horizo is to know something. All right? If you want to say this guy knows something special, horizo would be one of the words that you would use to define that. And to put pro in front of it, what does that mean? Before. Pro, you see, before, this is knowledge that God had before he even created the world. Now, what was that knowledge that Paul tells us here that God had before the foundation of the world? Let me read it to you here. Even as he chose us in him. What did God decide before the foundation of the world? That if we would be in Christ, guess what? We'll be chosen by God. We are chosen in Christ. All right? That's very important for us to grasp onto. He did this before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He destined us in love. Let's back, go back again. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world with a purpose, that we should be holy and blameless before him. What does holy mean? Set apart, okay? Otherly. Hmm? Otherly. Yes, some other ideas about what it means to be holy. Hmm? Clean, yes, that's right, cleansed. How are we cleansed? By the blood of Jesus, that cleanses us, you see. So that's what the word holy carries with it. But it, 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 it goes a little deeper uh, behind that to get to the root of this because we read that God is holy and he wants us to be holy like him. That's First Peter chapter 1. Um, 
What does it mean that God is holy? It's a difficult one. It bothered me a long time to figure out that I've got to be like God. God is holy and I've got to be like him. I just don't think that's possible. But that was a misunderstanding of what holiness means. Remember Moses, God spoke to Moses early on. What do we find? Spoke to him where? In a burning bush. And then he went up onto the mountain and spoke to Moses. What did he tell Moses? This is special place here. You take your shoes off because you're coming into a holy place. Why was it holy? Because God was there. See? And that's what makes it holy is the presence of God. See? So he wants us to be holy. What, 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 what is he saying there? He wants us to fill our lives with God. But there's a, another sense that uh, holiness carries. And you pick up this from the German use of this expression. And the German word is totaliter aliter. That's easy. You guys are smart. You can totaliter. What does that sound like? Totally. Aliter. Do you have a word alternative? Comes from the same root. Totaliter aliter means totally different. When God wants us to be holy, what does He want us to be? Totally different from what? The world that's out there, you see. And so God wants us to be different from the world. How do we be different from the world? It's, it's really not complicated. The way we live is different from the way the world lives. I had a discussion one time with one church, and they were concerned, we're not telling our neighbors how important God is to us. Well, that's not true. When you come to church and the parking lot is full, what is that telling the world? These people are different. Why? They go to church on Sunday. See? So that's what the idea of holiness is. By the lives we live, we ought to be totally different from the way the world is. So how do we do that? Let's be practical. How do we do that? I think that's what he means by mystery. Okay, yeah. It's a mystery for some of us, but we need to solve that mystery quickly, <laughs> we don't we? It. Okay. How do, how do we get to be totally different from the world? Well, it's simple, folk. It's not hard. You go to church on Sunday. And what do you do on Sunday? Man, I'll tell you what. Um, where I sit, I am extremely blessed where I sit on Sunday. You possibly are too. Because over to the left of me over there, there's a soprano. That when they hit those top notes, boy, I'm, they go way up. I get, even now I get <coughs> bumps. And right next to me is a bass. Old John. And just behind me there, there's another bass that you can hear all over the building. What's his name? He's tall. He leads the singing. And he opens his mouth wide. 
Boy, I'll tell you what. And I just get excited, you know. And John's up there on Sunday. I just, John was so excited about one of the songs. Did you get him up there this morning? Yes, he was really putting it out there. Man, that'll excite me about uh, being a Christian. Something to rejoice about. It lifts me up to hear singing like that. But who does that singing? Ewans. Is that good, Texas? Ewans or you all? Y'all. Y'all. Ewans. I think that must be, that's from Oklahoma, isn't it? Isn't it Ewans from Oklahoma? All right. And then Wes gets up there and he preaches a sermon like he did on Sunday. And I just sit there, wow. And June and I get in the car going home and I said, have you ever heard a better sermon than that we had on Sunday? And I was hoping she'd say, yes, the one you preached. But she never does that. She never does that. She said, no, that was something special. Now, that's how we learn to live differently from the world because we are surrounded by Christians who mean something with their faith. And we hear lessons like Wes preaches to us. What else? You got your Bible. You read your Bible at home. What else do you do at home? You pray. And when you talk to God and pray to God, what is that helping you to do? To be different from the world that's out there. I have a little thing that I pray for every night. It's sort of mechanical, uh, but that's okay. God understands that I'm sort of a you know, lame brain type of guy. And I, I pray every night, God, would you please help me tomorrow to be the kind of man that you want me to be. I want you tomorrow to help me to be the kind of husband that June needs for me to be. I want you to help me to be the kind of man tomorrow that will be different from the way the world is around about. I pray that every night. Because you see, I know I need that help. Now Paul is going to help us all out in a little while. Because he's going to explain to us in a little while that to be the kind of person that God wants you to be totally different from the world holy, can't do it on your own. So what has he done? He's given us a gift. And what is that gift? The Holy Spirit. Spirit. We're going to talk about that. The Holy Spirit. And this book, Ephesians, this letter has a whole lot to say about God. Let me just turn over. How are we doing for time? We've still got 10 minutes. Turn over to chapter (coughs) 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family on earth, uh, in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Wow. According to the riches of God, everything that he has, he's given to us through his spirit who dwells in us and who will strengthen us. Look at verse 20. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think to him, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations. So you see, Paul knows and God knows that although we want to be holy like God wants us to be, that we're human and that we're weak. And in order to help us, he has promised to give us his Holy Spirit who strengthens us when we need it. 
by calling on God and on his material. That's a great passage of material there right now. Let's move on. Now, he destined us, same word, predestined us, horizo, he destined us in love to be his sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, that's in Jesus, in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us for he has made known to us in all wisdom and insight the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth in him now let me just stop there have you noticed how many times as we read through this, we've read in him, in him, in him, in Christ Jesus, in the beloved? I mean, this is just loaded with references to Jesus as we work through this passage. In him, according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things, according to the counsel of his will, we who first hoped in Christ have been destined and appointed to live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, who have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and have believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which is a, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Why? To the praise of his glory. Notice that little expression again, how many times that comes, for the praise of his glory. So God has done all of this. For us in Christ Jesus, for the praise of his glory. When I first read that, I thought, whoa, this is a selfish God. He wants us to be good people so he gets the glory. That's what he says. But when we live our lives in such a way that God gets the glory, who benefits most by that? Us. See, we're the ones that benefit by living according to his will and bringing God the glory, but notice we bring God the, God the glory where? In Christ Jesus, through the church. He will explain that. Now, we've got just five minutes before I have to stop. I want you just to pick up, notice that we've, we've come through there, and he said here, verse 14, to the praise of his glory, and then drop down here to... Uh, let me get where I wanted to go. Verse 20 of chapter 3. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to do far more abundantly in all that we ask or think, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. We will notice as we work through here that Paul will come back to this little thought. This is what God wants us to do, to live our lives in such a way that we bring glory to God through Christ Jesus and through the church. That's so heavy on his mind that repeatedly as we go through Ephesians, he'll come back and say, for this reason, for this reason, for this reason I've done this, for this reason I've done that. For what reason has God given us the Holy Spirit? Now, there are a lot of reasons, but what has got Paul on, his, on Paul's mind? For this reason, he gives us the Holy Spirit. For what reason? 
to bring glory to God. That's our purpose. He's set us apart from the world. He's cleansed us. He's dedicated us, all right, so that we might so live our lives that we bring glory to God through Christ Jesus and the church. But let me come back and say this again. When you read that, you have to ask, who benefits by doing all of this? Who benefits the most by our living our lives in such a way that we bring glory to God? We do, you see. You see what Paul has in mind there. Now, remember, this is the world in which these people are living. This is where they went and what they did and where they paid their money, whatever it was, to have the spiritual blessings that they were hoping to get. And what is Paul saying? Not going to get it. It's not there anymore. All right. So it's in Christ Jesus that we have every spiritual blessing. Now, we haven't talked too much yet about the, the statement uh, of predestination. Uh, let me just make this statement now, and then we'll come back to it again. We are predestined by God in Christ to be saved, in Christ to bring glory to God. Right? So where did he predestine us? In Christ. So God had a plan. He predestined us before the foundation of the world that in Christ we would have every spiritual blessing. We speak here of corporate predestination rather than personal predestination. Now, certain religions say, well, no, before the foundation of the world, God had a plan, and his plan was that you would be saved and that you would be lost. And it doesn't matter what you do. That's going to happen in the end. See, that's God's predestination. That's what we call Calvinistic predestination. And Calvinistic predestination is based on the fact that when you were born, you were totally depraved and lost, and you have no claims on God. So out of his kindness and grace, he just decided that you were going to be saved and you were not going to be saved. You don't have anything to do with it. It was God predestined. Now, that is not what Scripture teaches us. First of all, Scripture does not teach that when you were born, you were totally depraved and separated from God. All right? That is a Calvinistic view. And so when you work off with that presupposition at first, you end up with the wrong conclusion. So we'll talk a little more about that as we move into the text. Any questions before we go? Yes. Yes. No. I was going to answer this. Is that Diana or is it Artemis? And the answer to that is yes. In the Latin world, the Roman world, this god was called Diana. In the Greek world, this god was not called Diana, but she was called Artemis. And so sometimes both names would be written on a temple because it just depends on your background, where you came from. Like we today, um, we referred to the Lord as capital L-O-R-D. That's the Lord. Because why? We come from a Protestant background. Okay? But if you came from a Jewish background, what would you call him? Jehovah. You see? So for us that didn't come from that background, a Jewish background, we know him as the Lord. Right? But if you came from a Jewish background, you would know him as Jehovah. It's the same word. 
just depends upon what your background was. Who asked that question? Okay, any other questions before we go? I beg your pardon? Yes, not today, but I will do that. I'll be honest with you. Yes, I said I would do it, and I'm going to do it. But I just got, when I was thinking about this, I thought, I don't know about that. That's, that's neat stuff, and you've got a lot of that in the book, right? a lot of those pictures. But this is a textual study of Ephesus, and I didn't want to spend three weeks before we got into the text. So I just decided we're going to study the text today. Sometime along the road... We'll come back and have a look at this because it is really very interesting. All right? Have a good week.